You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey guys, I'm here to tell you about O Marks the Spot, the Outer Loop Podcast, which, as most of you might know, is a podcast that I do. So not only do we do the Managemental Podcast along with Mr. Blasco, but also we do the Outer Loop Podcast, O Marks the Spot. It's designed to give listeners a behind-the-scenes look at the most interesting happenings from week to week at the label-slash-management company Outer Loop. Host, me, Mike Mowry, and Outer Loop staff members Lance Rowe, our graphic designer, and Susie Lee, project coordinator, discuss what it takes to run a label from every aspect, highlighting the successes and challenges from week to week. So head on over to JabberjawMedia.com for more information on Omar's The Spot. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you uncover some of the mystery that is this challenging business of rock and roll. I am your host. Mr. Blasco, and I am excited to be here today. As always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, a record label owner, fellow artist manager, and former spirit air traveler, Mr. Mike Mowry. Oh, man, what an incredible journey that was on spirit air. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think I had successfully blocked it out of my mind until you just reminded me, so... Don't know what to say, and you know, I was prepping for this episode this morning and thinking about got a lot of great feedback from my voice on last week's, you know, 18 in Life rendition of the great Skid Row, Sebastian Bach, and I came up with something, but I, I hadn't had a chance to really practice it, so I'm just gonna let it go, my friend. <laughs> if you want to hear that voice, ladies and gentlemen, go back and visit episode 18. Yeah, and speaking of the last episode, we answered a handful of you, the listeners, questions. And hey, thanks for writing in. We totally appreciate it. Anyway, it was a really fun episode, so check it out. And if you want to hear Mike sing a Skid Row song, definitely check it out. This week, I googled, how do bands break and become famous? There was, of course, a wealth of opinions, but the one I thought would work best today uh, on the podcast was written by Matt O'Dowd. This is a mega topic, so we are going to break it up into two episodes. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Oh yeah. So Mike, what is new in your world? Uh, you know, I feel like uh, there's a bazillion little things that just continue to creep up. I was, I had a nice trip to New York this week. I had uh, my buddy Dennis from Refused, his band Invasion, which is I N V S N, was in town doing some music with some other guys, and we did a press day there. And it was nice to get back to New York, make the rounds, see some faces, 
shake hands, kiss babies. But, you know, just as we were talking about before we got started, no matter how much you prepare for a trip, whether it's a day, two days, or three weeks, as you're about to embark on, it becomes a challenge to keep up with the amount of stuff that, you know, someone like you or I has to manage on a daily basis. For sure, man. I mean, yeah. So I'm about to go on tour for three weeks and I was doing a Instagram live stream this morning and one of our listeners was very concerned that we would have to pause the podcast, which I ensured him that is not the case. We will make sure that episodes keep popping up every week so you guys can all get your managemental fix consistency so yeah i mean you know we're gonna figure it out we haven't had to deal with this just yet we have had some travel days i mean we've been able to be flexible this week for instance you know we pushed it a couple days and here we are recording on the friday but yeah we'll make it work we're professionals yeah man we can adapt we can roll we can roll with the punches so uh it's all good but anyway today I was prepping and researching for today's episode, and you know what I did? I asked the internet an obvious question. How does a band break and become famous, right? Because people want to know that. We all know there is no simple answer to this. However, successful people do have habitual similarities that have been theorized as the foundation for their success. So it stands to reason that perhaps there are reoccurring themes and actions that can be found in successful bands that can be reverse engineered for a new generation. Maybe, maybe not. So how do bands break out and become famous? According to Matt O'Dowd, a self-proclaimed band dude, songwriter, and composer, the answer is not easy, but attainable. He writes, be extremely good at music. So good that people can't ignore you. So let's break this down in five ways to potentially achieve this. Number one, develop a unique sound that is unmistakably you. Most successful artists of all mediums become famous for a signature style. Yeah, I mean, listen, what a great way to start out. Of course, somebody that's doing something unique, and you and I have seen it, we, you know, we're not old per se but we've been around the block long enough that we've watched musical styles that have been at the complete apex all of a sudden get the rug pulled out from under them because someone else has come in with you know another brand new style i mean i think the most evident in probably our minds is the hair metal days of the late 80s you know being replaced by grunge and you know the the ferocity of a band like nirvana but of course there's other examples with you know things like new metal and i'm sure there's plenty of other examples and these are where artists came in and had a sound that was just absolutely different what is your take on that yeah i mean look this is of utmost importance you know and i, and I feel like I've, I've touched on this before and like Whenever you get in the in the jam room with the with the guys and you know you kind of start off it's probably going to be something that is familiar territory but try to break yourself out of that I mean as, as soon as possible you know it's like man if you look at anybody that's like something that you would aspire to be it's not like a shitty version of something else that's like already popular you know what i mean like you want to you know you strive to be metallica not exciter 
you know? Well, completely. And I think, you know, from obviously working with a number of developing artists and just watching them develop a unique sound or at least somewhat of a unique sound. And, and you know, we've talked about this in plenty of past episodes. You know, it's not only the sound anymore. It's also kind of the vision and the aesthetic that goes with it. And maybe it's always been that way. But, you know, it's as you're starting out, you know, in developing, yeah, you're going to look to replicate and, you know, you're going to take these influences and really wear them on your sleeves. You know, most of us learn to play by listening to our favorite bands and practicing or covering their songs. You know, eventually you do have to figure out how you can take what you know so well and what you've been practicing and develop your own unique style from that. Again, it's not going to be super easy. And that's why, as Mr. Matt O'Dowd is saying, this is how you break out and become famous, and this is why not everybody does break out and become famous. Yes. Number two, write extremely good songs that total strangers are interesting in hearing again. Your friends and your mom will say everything is great. They cannot be trusted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is it? The vacation movie where you know the girl says uh, – Daddy says I kiss best, <laughs> which, of course, is a little bit creepy. Well, it's a lot bit creepy, frankly. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is, again, maybe it's obvious, but you can't just look to the people that are within your circle to give you honest feedback. Most of us, including you and I, I mean, when we get invested in our clients, sometimes we can have trouble being objective with them. And frankly, sometimes they have trouble when we are objective with them because they want to have that support structure of, oh, you are the best. You know, so many people are afraid of really digging in and working really hard to make something you know that's so good that strangers would be interested in hearing it again and again yeah and look and to combine number one and number two right writing extremely good songs is a little a little broad strokish you know it's a it's a little nebulous in that whenever you say write good songs that doesn't mean that you have to be like overly technically proficient or whatever right it's it's writing good songs equates to something that's connecting. So it doesn't have to be a well-polished, you know what I mean? Like when the White Stripes started out or like, you know what I mean? Metallica started out or like any of these bands, you know, it's like their their first offerings weren't well-produced, well-written, you know what I mean? But there was something about it that connected, right? So it's like, you know, and in terms of songs too, like I think of this, Mike, how do you, how would you define a hit song? A hit song would be one that uh, ascends to the charts and <laughs> is absolutely <Right>. popular. <laughs> but correct. So my point is that no one has ever known of a hit song that no one bought, right? There's no such thing. A hit song is strictly defined by the fact that it is popular and people buy it or listen to it or stream it or whatever, right? So – much to be said for a band writing a song. And, and I'm not saying you have to write a hit song, but I'm saying like it needs to connect. You know, it's like your songs need to connect with someone because it's like much like a hit song isn't a hit unless people buy it. A band can't be a band unless there's fans, right? Yeah, and you and I see this a lot, especially when, you know, we're dealing with the more technical genres or the the heavier side of music. You do get people, you know, that have gravitated towards that because 
you know, frankly, they might like the, you know, technical proficiency and therefore they want to wear it on their sleeves and show that off to, you know, the other band members or people, you know, that they are trying to impress. But you're right. Inevitably, we've watched plenty of very, very, very talented artists sort of lose themselves in that realm of trying to ensure that there's so much technicality in it, or at least there's that stamp on it, that it takes away from the thing that inevitably typically makes a song a hit, which is simplicity, you know, and something that people can remember. Like he says, total strangers interested in hearing it again. Yep. Number three, listen to tons of music in a diverse range of genres, thus acquiring better instincts, greater knowledge, and better taste. Listen to songs and sounds you love and try to figure out why you love them. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a very nice point that maybe isn't stated enough. I think that, uh, you know, in anything that we do, you know, you and I, as we've, you know, on my end, as I've transitioned into management and label and therefore, you know, I focus on a ton of marketing, I don't only look for inspiration within the music business itself. You know, I talk about it all the time. I'll watch things like SportsCenter and, you know, look at how they market things or I'll just, you know, watch popular advertisements and you know we just did an ad recently um, for an artist on the label called Lorna Shore and it was because I was looking for the ability of a way to stand out that wasn't just the same old promotion of their music and so we'll link that in the show notes and I'm and I'm curious what people's thoughts are but going back to music it's the same thing the one thing I caution and you and I have seen or rather heard many artists do this where they try to incorporate too many of the diverse range of influences and they end up kind of you know forgetting you know part two which is keeping he doesn't say keep it simple but that was one of the things that i said but yeah you got to figure out where you can bring in something that not everyone else in your existing genre is doing and incorporate that look if you've got four guys that get in a room together that slayer is all their favorite band your band's going to sound like slayer that's just the way it is right but if if we're breaking this down of you know, how to break out and become famous and successful, right? If we're breaking that down and these and these ways are legit, then and number one being, you know, trying to create a unique sound, it's like ditch the fourth guy and bring in like a guy that's into like urban. You know what I mean? Like bring in something like an outside influence to to mix it up and make something unique, right? Like you got you gotta you got to break up the equation here. You know, you got to shake things up and you got to, you you know, like I said, like you really got to try and and, uh, diversify um, into something else if you want to make a statement, you know, musically. Yeah, I mean, take a look or listen to, you know, a band I work with, Refused. You know, that album, The Shape of Punk to Come, which was so, you know, incredibly heralded by, you know, so many people and went on to become such a, you know, incredible influence. If you go in and listen to it, you know, they, they did. They took and incorporated very tastefully. You know, they didn't do it over the top. They incorporated jazz They at the very early side of, you know, a way to incorporate, um you know, electronic stuff with sampling and things like that. And it's just... That little bit of being able to take those things and pull them in, yet keeping, you know, the the core of what they were doing is what made that album, you know, or one of the many things that made that album completely stand out. 
and to build off of that and I'm, I'm not tuning my own horn I'm, I'm providing an example here but that album in the liner notes they mention cryptic slaughter's third record you know that i was a part of and on or whatever they mentioned that as an as an influence on them and you know what's interesting about cryptic slaughter is it, it, it's like that's that's a good example of a bunch of people bringing in granted we, we were all into heavy stuff but like it was it wasn't metal and like lyrically it was more punk rock driven in that it was like political and social rather than you know singing about like you know like iron maiden and judas priest topics you know like it wasn't uh it wasn't fiction necessarily so it was like metal music but tonality wise it was kind of more punk rock and the overtone was social political lyrical or whatever right so it was this thing but it connected and people dug it and people still dig it and i feel like it was because this mashing up of different people bringing in their influences even though it was under the same roof it was different perspectives right that made it unique as to what it was anyway whatever moving on to number four find excellent creative partners and collaborate with them most great music is a team effort get used to the idea of ditching bad ideas and freely exchanging criticism yeah, I mean, this sounds like sort of what you were just saying when you've got multiple people in the room, whether they be people in your band or whether you're experimenting with writing. And in this day and age, it's so interesting, you know, from when you and I started out, we didn't have the ability to do what we're doing right now, which is hop on Skype and collaborate. You know, if we were if we were trying to podcast like we are now back when, you know, we both got started, we would have to be physically in the same place or we'd be mailing, you know, reels back and forth or whatever it may be. And, you know, the same thing here. You know, there's such an easy way or an easier way to collaborate with people. And I think that that's a really cool, you know, suggestion on their end, you know, and, and lastly, you know, get used to the idea of ditching bad ideas and, you know, freely exchanging criticism, you know, that can be challenging. That's a process. Most of us, you know, that do anything and want to excel in it, it takes time to figure out how to, to freely accept criticism. You know, as, as ridiculous as it may sound, right? Like I feel like a lot of the best music out there was created via conflict. And what I mean by that is if you have a bunch of people that are all on the same page, you're going to get to the, you know, you're going to get across the finish line maybe a little bit faster. But I feel like when you're ever, you're in a situation to where there's a lot of push and pull and there and there's conflict and there and there's compromise of like no i don't want to do everything your way i want to have my voice in this too and you have four people that are collaboratively working together and on a creative level but sometimes there's fighting sometimes there's arguing sometimes there's you know to get to that compromise effort of where everyone Everyone, the end result is an amalgamation of everyone's ideas. And that's what brings you back to number one of it being a unique sound. Absolutely. Moving on. Be awesome at playing live and find ways to make your shows memorable and unique. I think everything that's been talked about in the first four points is building that foundation. Of course, you've got to you know be able to have the songs that are unique. You've got to be able to collaborate and find ways to incorporate diverse genres. But ultimately, especially nowadays, we're in a live economy. 
you know, if you've got a great sounding record or you've got a great sounding song and you can't back it up with an incredible live performance, you know, you're only as good as as the YouTube link you came in with. And not all things are the same, right? I mean, just like if you're hearing it in music, it's going to get tired. If you're seeing it live, it's going to get tired. So, you know, like a shoegazer alt rock band is still going to be live. And I mean, it's still going to be good live in terms of that it resonates with their audience because that's what they want. But being good live doesn't mean, you know, this is the part where we synchronize jump together. That's tired too. You got to you got to bring your own thing to the table. And usually that has a lot to do with personality personality usually of the singer as well but um not necessarily you know it could be the the combination of the two but you know you gotta define your own but like if you're seeing a lot of people do the same things visually as well as hearing it don't fall into that rut of like oh oh, this is the part where we have to do this shit together it's like no man like this is this is now the point to where you gotta think of something else because that is done you know what I mean? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, the thing to remember about all of these is it is a process. You're not going to play your best show, your best live show, your first live show. It's going to take time, but that's where practice comes in. You know, you got to look at ways. You got to think about these things before you actually get up there on stage. You know, again, I'll go back to the refused example. You know, Dennis Lixon, the singer, you know, he has always been heralded as such a fantastic live frontman. He didn't learn the moves that he does that makes him stand out by rolling in to the to the show and just trying them on a win. He watched James Brown, <laughs> you know, yeah. James Brown videos and practice in the mirror. Like that's the the level of commitment that it takes and then of course by doing it and playing shows uh by the time the band got big and and he was already great at doing that so and that's a great example of mashing all of these ideas that we're talking about together right in that he looked at something that was outside of the box for his genre right and and brought that in as an outside influence to make who they are different and unique right but he practiced like he he it was it was a it was a real planned effort as to what he was going to do right and then he brought that in it made it unique but then over time he developed it enough to where he brought in his own sensibility to the james brown thing and then it uniquely became him once again you got it yes final tidbit here is record good stuff on your own in your bedroom in a friend's studio whatever you really don't need very much money to make an excellent sounding recording these days I don't disagree with him per se, but again, if we're going to go back to be extremely good at music, you know, so good that people can't ignore you, you know, I think your and I recommendation would be this is the part of like practicing and getting better. But when it comes time to make a really great sounding record, I would advise go and find a a great producer that's going to complement your style and your vision to really knock it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you know, if the vibe is there, if the personality is there, man, it's going to be captured no matter what. And if people are going to resonate, they're going to, I think, no matter what, like if there's an audience for what you're doing, it doesn't need to be the most perfect thing. On the other hand, 
given the scope of where you're at, you do need to sonically be competitive of what's going on out there. I mean, if you're some super high tech deathcore fucking band, it has to be in the realm of sonically where your competition is, right? But if it's like, if it's a simpler sort of, you know, uh, singer songwriter thing or whatever, you can get away with something not so polished. If the song is great and the vibe is there and it's being captured in a way to where it's going to connect with a fan base, then it, then it doesn't necessarily need to be John Mayer sonic level, right? Because it can still find its own audience, you know, in a, in a different capacity. Yeah, I don't disagree. Again, I think so much of everything that we do and that you and I talk about it is a process and you know just as recording this podcast for you and I has been a process you know we didn't initially start out uh, as great as we are if we you know don't mind patting ourselves on the back and I'm sure there's much more greatness to actually come so Part of it is you do. You just got to pick a place to get started. You got to record good stuff on your own um, or with a friend because part of doing that allows you to see and reflect and hear and reflect on exactly what you've done. You might roll in thinking, I've got the greatest song in the world, and then you lay it down, and by the time you listen back to it or you're able to play it for these friends or you know total strangers – then you're going to get a different bit of feedback than you got just with the riff or the song going on in your head. Yeah, look, I can't reiterate that enough. Just get started. You know, none of these things are going to come easy. And you're also not going to sit around and plan these things out to the point of perfection. You got to get in there. You got to experiment. You got to try different things, you try different people, try different collaborations. It's like, you know, like you just got to get started. Like nothing is perfect out of the gate, but if it's worth pursuing, it's going to find the end game of what it needs to be. But you just got to get started. You know, I, I can't reiterate that enough. Look, that was an awesome episode. Part two, we'll dig even deeper into this topic. But for now... For everyone for tuning in we will be back here next week with part two to this episode in the meantime you can find me on twitter and instagram at blasco1313 we encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com because hey people we do this show for you consider it a tool for understanding this ever so challenging and confusing business of music if you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? I will do as I always do and remind everyone that not only thanks for tuning in, but if you're enjoying what we're doing and you might be concerned that in Blasco's travels, we might not make an episode and you're hanging on by the seat of your pants waiting for us that's fantastic we appreciate the support and i encourage you to rate and review us wherever you may listen to podcasts and share our podcast with a friend like we talk about each and every week we really enjoy doing this and you know our goal is to reach as many ears as possible so if you'd like to find me on twitter or instagram i am just at Mike O'Loop, and really, that's about all I got to say this week, my friend. Awesome. 
Thanks, everybody. Cool. Have a good one. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.